Good afternoon, Benjamin Lowy. Welcome on VH Berries. Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, being here. Right now, you're living in a very special location based in Texas. I'm, uh, I'm not sure how special it is, but um, yes, I am uh, living in Texas. Uh, I relocated here uh, about eight, eight months ago, uh, so still getting to know where I live exactly as a lifelong New Yorker coming to Texas was, is a little bit of a culture shock. So, The town is called McAllen, and this is very close to the border and a city called uh, Reynosa. Yes, now, uh, where I just was uh, two days ago. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm about 20 minutes uh, less probably from the border. Um, Reynosa is just a you know, drive over. You stop in a parking lot near a burger restaurant and there's the border and you can just cross over. Um, and then all around us uh, is the border wall. Um, And this is a spot where a lot of migrants work their way over the border to come to the U.S. And this location gives you a sort of advantage because it's really easy for you to cover some um, social and political subject, such as the migrants. Can you tell us about uh, the mission you've been through? Well... I, you know, move, the reason we moved down here wasn't necessarily to, um, to, to do this, to work on, on the migrant story. I think it's, it, it's a, a fact of life here. And it's something that my wife and I, who we work together quite a bit, uh, sink our teeth into. Um, but one of the reasons we moved down here was to actually during COVID was to take care of my mother-in-law who lives here. Um, believe it or not, this is a, you know, kind of a remoter area of the, of, of the U.S. Uh, Mexican border called the Rio Grande Valley. It has a very large population um, of Filipino and Indian migrants who are about two generations old who came originally. Um, there was a, an easier way if you were a doctor or in the medical profession to get a visa to come to the U.S., um, which was serving Uh, which is working at, in the medical field in underserved communities. So a lot of my, my, my mother-in-law and my wife, my wife and her, all her family are Filipino. And they actually, you know, her sister-in-law came here as a doctor, you know, 25 years ago and kind of brought uh, my mother-in-law with her. But eventually she's the last one here. So the reason we moved down here was just to really take care of my mother-in-law during COVID um, and kind of just a change of pace from New York. But it has the added um, part of like being right in the middle of this story uh, of, of the migrants that are, are happening. Uh, I do have to work on my Spanish because it's not as great as it should be in order to do this story effectively. But uh, about an hour and a half away from me driving west is an area called Roma, uh, where uh, a lot of the borderland along the Rio Grande River Uh, or uh, Mexicans call it the Rio Bravo River, uh, is, is privately owned land. And that is where a lot of migrants will cross over in inflatable kayaks um, and, and, you know, kind of make this trip over to the U.S. Um, and so that's like a big crossing point that I've been working on in the last few months, as well as you have something like Reynosa, which is a quite dangerous area uh, to go to in general. 
um, and I don't go there lightly or by myself, uh, but there is a park right as you exit uh, the border area uh, that is just filled with tents right now um, that uh, a lot of migrants from all different parts of uh, Central America uh, kind of congregate to who don't cross over on their own. This is very inspiring, Benjamin Lowy, because through your career as a photographer, you have this very special relationship with risk. And for example, concerning this uh, expedition, you were waking up at night, driving to the borders to uh, film and record the migrants while they were crossing the border uh, with 8K video footage at a very high frame rate. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there are two things to unpack there. One, I, you know, throughout my career, I, I have done a lot of um, things that I guess my mother would say was not a good idea, um, you know, or, or taken, taken certain uh, risks that I felt were uh, either important to the story or... Um, driven by the fact that I, I needed to do this professionally. But uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, you, you can't show people what they, you know, if everyone could see the same thing, um, then our job as journalists, as image makers would not be that important. And I think part of why we need to make images in kind of riskier situations or because those are the situations that most people wouldn't put themselves in. And those are the things that, that they need to see. Um, and it, and, and it's not even necessarily risk as much as it's just the, the kind of photographing elements in the world that most people don't get to see. And the only way that, you know, they're going to be informed is by a select few people making those images or making the, taking the time to make those images. Um, part of the reason, you know, that image making is, is so much more prevalent now. And I think wh why um, people have such a higher visual vocabulary uh, is because there's more access to image making and because there is more the technology. We all have cameras now in our pockets connected to our smart smartphones. Um, and I think in the West, we see close to 6,000 images a day, uh, most people, just because it's it's so prevalent and it's, it's always in our face. Uh, so for me, it's trying to also use the technology. Uh, and I think technology is a very important way to talk to people is to stay, um, you know, ahead of the game and sort of understanding what's out there and whether it was me using the iPhone to photograph Uh, in Afghanistan or in Libya when, you know, social media first began or to now using an 8K camera uh, but shooting at higher frame rates uh, so that I can make stills, high resolution stills as well as video at the same time to give myself uh, more content and more of an ability to hit people. So whether or not some people see those images as stills or some people see it as video content somewhere else, you have the ability to reach more people, which ultimately is what as image makers we want to do. Uh, and you have to unpack the, the ego side of, of being a photographer or having a point of view. Like there's a reason 
why I kneel and I make this image, why I stand and I make this image. And you know, composition and the way we frame things is based on ego, based on who we are and uh, as a product of all the experiences we've had. So there's part of that in the creation of imagery. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, what's the point of making those images if no one's going to see it and share in the vision? Tell me about the process at the very beginning, because for these missions, you were working alone, but I believe that you had some help from fixers or the media uh, to know the exact locations and to get uh, a little help. Well, I think uh, in photography uh, and in journalism, for the most part, uh, not maybe investigative journalism, but at least from the image making side of things, there's great camaraderie uh, between image makers. And I think when you're approaching a situation um, like breaking news or when you're in a conflict zone, there is a lot of um, talking between colleagues and teaming up. And because we all know, and I think we're all mature enough to understand that we're all working for different people. Uh, we all see the world differently and we all help each other out so in in many ways uh like when i go to a place like that i'll i'll call another colleague be like are you there do you want to go a lot of times you team up with people you don't especially in dangerous situations when you're starting to get the hang of it you don't go by yourself i mean there have been times where i have gone by myself to many things after understanding or uh, or going there before um with colleagues um I mean, it really depends on, on the situation and what you're doing with uh, going to Roma late at night. Uh, there's always another photographer there or, uh, you know, we'll coordinate. Uh, there have been times I've been there by myself, but there have also been times and many times that I've been there uh, with uh, fellow photographers from different wire services or newspapers or magazines. And as you mentioned, Benjamin Lowy, you've been going back and forth through different places and the uh, location, I believe that this is the key to remain creative. Oh, 100%. I, I, <laughs> I, th I think it's so hard to photograph the same thing over and over again. Um, and that could be the genre that you photograph and the content and the subject matter. I mean, in between covering all of uh, the migrants crossing, my wife and I have been working on a story uh, about the uh, endangered sea turtles um, nesting period in South Padre Island, which is uh, to the east of us, complete opposite direction of the migrants. And so, you know, some weeks we're out there sleeping in our car in a tent and like photographing and, and shooting video uh, late at night of like sea turtles coming out of their nests. And then, you know, the next night it's back to covering the migrants or it's even photographing, you know, our kids, which we, we do a lot of. Um, or, you know, I shoot a, a lot of underwater. I just finished an underwater assignment for a, a magazine here in Texas. So um, there there is... Uh, a lot for me, at least, I'm comfortable in having this big spread of having uh, different things to photograph, um, which keeps my creative uh, juices um, flowing. I guess would be the best way to say it. 
Of course, yeah. and <clears throat> since the beginning, you've mentioned your uh, wife and work partner about three times. So yeah, well, um, I, I, I can't, I can't not mention that. That that would be dangerous if I didn't <laughs> mention uh, my wife. So her name is uh, Marvi uh, Laker. Uh, can you yeah. tell us about uh, how you met and your relationship every day working to create the best images? Yeah, uh, we met uh, initially. Uh, there's, uh, she tells the story much better than I, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we met uh, once online where it was a big conversation. I was in Iraq and there were a couple of young, I was a very young photographer when I was in Iraq in 2003. Uh, I was 23 years old and we had, and I think when I was 24, there was an online conversation with some people back in the States. And she was a, a, a young, you know, a, a photojournalist that was working in New York. Um, and then we met at the Eddie Adams workshop, but we didn't really meet. She just kind of like went in passing. And then we ended up having a date when I was home from Iraq for one night before flying off to Haiti to cover um, uh, the the rebel push against Aristide uh, in, in 2004. So, you know, we had a quick date at a Starbucks coffee shop. Um, and I'm not really even <laughs> sure how much we really liked each other. But when I came back from Haiti in 2004, we just decided to start dating. And uh, we've been together since. We've been married, uh, you know, 16 years now. Um, and, you know, there was a time when, you know, she was her own photojournalist and I was my own photojournalist and we were separate and we didn't work together. And then, um, and then we had kids and, um, we tried, you know, and then it was just me kind of traveling a lot, trying to pay the bills for all of us. And she was managing a lot of it. And, um, I think, um, I had to understand that, you know, I having kids took her out of the equation of being professional and, and, and she had, a lot of um, more to give the world. And so when our kids were old enough, we started really trying to work together and I wanted to be conscious of how I can, of how I could let her kind of get back to her creative game. Um, and so we started doing a lot of work together and, and we started making short movies and she's really the director and the brains behind it. And I just carry the equipment um, and, and point the camera at things. Um, so we really, uh, do work more tandem now where uh, she just tells me what to do and I do it, which is how any good relationship works. <laughs> this is a fantastic breakdown because as you mentioned, uh, you started covering um, Iraq, the Iraq war uh, just after uh, graduating, which is something very, very uncommon. Yeah, I um, I was very impatient to become what uh, I thought I wanted to become. Um, so when I discovered photography and photojournalism, I was a junior in uh, university, in my third year, and uh, I really didn't know where to go uh, or how to become what I thought I wanted to be. I took time off from school. I was actually living in Paris. Um, I ended up going to um, 
Israel and Palestine to, uh, you know, cover the beginning of the Intifada in um, late 2001, 2002, um, and like, or 2001 and 2002. And then, you know, coming back to school and just doing a thesis, I, I lived in a homeless shelter for about five months um, to kind of, you know, it, it, looking back on it, it might have been a cliche approach to figuring out what I thought I was supposed to do or how to create the imagery uh, that I saw around me, uh, which was only from kind of one viewpoint um, as, a, as a voyeur looking in on the other. Um, but it was instrumental in, in, um, in kind of teaching me many things, not just about myself, but about the profession I was getting into. And uh, I ended up, um, you know, finding myself in the right spot and, and, and um, making, um, making myself available to, to take uh, advantage of certain situations that led me to, to Iraq um, as, as, a, as a young photographer working for uh, Corbis. So the way the story goes uh, was that there was a photographer who I will not name who couldn't get a visa to go to Kuwait um, because of his own nationality. And every other photographer from Corbis, which used to be Bill Gates's uh, photo agency, uh, had decided to go unilaterally into Iraq, which was not embedding with U.S. forces, um, because most of those photographers had already done the same thing with the invasion of Afghanistan. Uh, in 2001 after 9-11 and they thought oh, we could do this with Iraq um, and so I walked into the office Corbis I was actually looking for an office job I didn't have I think I had seven dollars and 35 cents left in my bank account um, and I really didn't want to get a job <laughs> as like a waiter or anything I, I you know so I was actually went into Corbis looking for an office job and the photo editor there at the time uh, David Laidler, um, he mentioned, he was like, well, uh, you know, we don't have anyone going to Iraq right now because this photographer can't get a visa. Do you, do you want to go? You're going to have to tell me right now. And um, I said, yes, I will go. Um, I actually did not even really know what I was doing. Um, I, I kind of had to call another photographer and ask them what to pack. It was all very um, new, but I was very ambitious to um, kind of at attain this goal that I, I thought I had wanted for so long, to be this war photographer working for these big magazines, um, you know, covering these monumental events. This is that's what I got into it for. So um, I, did, I did kind of uh, attain that, um, that goal really early on. You attained your goals because looking back, you've stayed in Iraq from 2003 to 2008, so nearly five years. Yeah, uh, I worked there quite quite a bit uh, over the years. I mean, I you know went home. I did other things. Um, I, I I you know I, I guess as a journalist, you have the option to leave as, as compared to a soldier or an Iraqi. Um, but I kept on going back and covering that uh, and covering Iraq for uh, a really long time um, until I just had 
too many close calls and too many injuries. And I just decided that it, enough was enough. And so I ended up spending more time in Afghanistan after that because um, that was a good decision. Um, uh, but, you know, like my my experience in Afghanistan, um, which people have been asking me of late because of everything that's going on in Afghanistan right now, currently, was completely different than my experience in um, Iraq. And I never once felt in danger in Afghanistan. I was never once in kind of a dicey situation. I don't I didn't even do any embeds with um, NATO or U.S. forces in Afghanistan. I've kind of worked on just doing features. And it was a very different experience uh, of covering Afghanistan than it was covering Iraq. And it really opened my eyes to my approach to covering conflict zones or in, or just in general covering um, being a photographer. I, I, I think we're, when you grow up, not grow up, but when you develop our eye, especially the, the Western gaze, um, we have this idea of what true photojournalism is, of how the tropes that we pay attention to. Uh, and I think um, we get used to that and we don't push that because we think that is what photojournalism is. And I think it took really kind of exploring the lighter side of life in Afghanistan and doing features to really understand that there's more, there's there's not just the horror of the war, world that needs to be photographed, there's also the, the beautiful parts too. Benjamin Lowy, you just mentioned the fact that you were exhausted uh, about the injuries in Iraq. Can you tell us about it? Because uh, it catches my attention. Um, yeah, I mean, besides from... Um I think the mental trauma that everyone is going to take back uh, from being in a war zone. I mean, I, you know, most people don't see dead, tortured bodies or or respond to you know bombings and raids on a on a daily basis. And this and this was something I saw a lot of, um, you know, um, and I think you know, that creates its own trauma and its own injury and, and the images that are seared um, into my mind um, for the rest of my life, that has its own thing. Um, I think um, probably one of the only things that people have been in war zones um, or in conflict zones or in, in, in um, disasters understand is a sense of smell uh, that comes with those places where You know, you can sit down and watch a Hollywood action movie and it could be gratuitously violent, um, but you'll never really understand what it's like because you're not smelling. Um, and, and that's something that, that sticks with me. But, but besides from the mental trauma of it, yeah, I was in a few different bomb blasts over the years and um, two of them really injured my leg and my knee um, and some of the nerve endings in, in, in my back. Um, And that's been continuous uh, thing where um, my I've had multiple surgeries on my leg, and you know eventually I'm just going to have to replace my knee. I think they want to do it now, but I'm 40, and I think I'm too young to do that. But um, you know, it, it was just like uh, my body hurts 
Um, I had my elbow and in, 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 in my left hand, uh, left arm uh, reconstructed. So I, there's, there's a lot of um, injuries that came out of, um, you know, different events that happened in Iraq. So. Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Haiti, Daefur. Some of the places, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, and then there are ones that, that I didn't spend a lot of time in, um, but that leave an, uh, a lasting impression. Um, I was 2013, Christmas, uh, I was working for ESPN and I was in, um, I was in South Sudan in Juba doing a, a, a wrestling piece of all things. And civil war broke out and the country fell apart. Uh, I stayed for a few days to report because um, why not? Uh, I thought it was important and no one else was there. But even then, um, you know, uh, I had to be evacuated out of there. So there, there are lots of places that I've been over the years um, that, that have left their mark. <laughs> And Benjamin Lowy, on another side that is more positive, uh, these last five years, for example, you've made some photograph for some presidential candidates such as Joe Biden, Kamala Harris or more, but also some uh, personalities like Elon Musk or Jake Paul. Yeah, well, Jake Paul was recent uh, and he, uh, he won last night his boxing match, which I can't believe um yeah i i i again like i i try and diversify and and i try and figure out i mean ultimately at the end of the day yes i'm a photographer and yes i have this art that i want to excel at but i also have to you know pay for my children's lego and um you know pay the bills <laughs> so so I, i i still have to work and and i think one of the things about photography is while the editorial world is going through this monumental shift um you know advertising is going through this monumental shift not everyone knows where uh, money is going to come from people are trying to do nfts and sell art and people want you to give away your images for free Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm always trying to diversify and do as much as I can. And so part of that is also going to be, um, you know, doing portraits. And so I made myself available to do, uh, you know, portraits and uh, try and do that as, as, as much as possible as, as well. And you make, as you mentioned, yourself available because you value Uh, photography as a license to all of your hobbies a hundred percent i th i think as i've grown and, and, and as i've matured and i understand that photography is an amazing license to experience so much of the world and if we just limit ourselves to one genre or one thing you don't get to see so many different things like i've done the olympics and Um, you know, I've done the American Super Bowls, like five of them. Um, but then I've also done like Paris Fashion Week and uh, I've done underwater work and swam with great white sharks. Um, I've done like, you know, penguins on the tip of Antarctica. Like these are and having photography be, the you know, as a license, basically as a vehicle 
that gets me to experience all these different things that makes my life fuller makes my experiences fuller and probably I hope makes me a somewhat better person um, and ultimately a better father because that's kind of the reason I think I understand why I would do any of this anyways is to just um, impart some of this to my kids and can you tell me about Um, the process and the meetings that you had with some of these personalities. For example, uh, you went in the SpaceX uh, headquarters to photograph Elon Musk. Can you tell us about it? Uh, so uh, I remember um, sitting in his room, in a room, in a conference room with him, because I was also doing uh, day in the life photographs. Um, And um, and kind of getting the sense of, of, of what his life was like, what his work day was like. And I sat in a conference room with him and about 18 other, you know, rocket scientists, literal rocket scientists. And they're talking <laughs> about thrust coefficients and fuel and parabolas and talking heavy, you know, math and trying to figure out, um, you know, escape velocity vector i don't know i'm just throwing out words here and I, i was like i'm literally sitting i'm the dumbest person in this room right now like i i you know i got through calculus and maybe you know by cheating in high school so uh you know it it, it um i remember that but uh you know when i lined up the picture to take of him in the fuselage we had to make sure that there was really nothing else uh visible Um, there, there was a, a photograph that I did of him in one of the early fuselage designs and they just re remember that their PR people were trying to make sure that there was nothing else uh, visible um, in, in, in the frame uh, that anyone else, you know, any of their people would, would um, you know, have a problem with or that, you know, industrial espionage. They just were like, you have to make sure that there's nothing else in there. So I remember every time I took a picture of him in the SpaceX facility, we had to look at the back of my camera to make sure that um, it was all kosher for them. And working for some uh, television and broadcasting channels, uh, you did also some portraits. And I believe that Uh, for this, this is another type of exercise because the portrait that you are going to take will be displayed on every television for the polls and the result. Yeah, so that that was actually a, a fun project where uh, I worked for, for, for CNN and for Turner of uh, photographing everyone who was going to run for president. But because so many people were running early in 2019, there were close to 30 people that I had to photograph. Uh, and I had this roving um, um, you know, studio that we set up with a certain number of lights and to create uh, the same kind of look that we would bring to every space. Uh, so we had to measure all the lights and measure the baffling and measure the seamless because we didn't want, we wanted the portrait to look the same no matter where we were photographing. Um, and then we also had to shoot video content for the uh, for you know TV as well. The same thing. So still photograph and then a video portrait, and they all had to be done seamlessly because obviously these are politicians and don't have a lot of time to be um, to be photographed. 
and I'm very curious about your skills to direct all the models and public figure. What is your secret? Oh, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no secret to, um, <laughs> to directing people. Um, uh, I do dress outrageously. So I found a, a, a company that makes these like flowery, ridiculous blazers because I would show up in a tie Uh, and a, a, you know, in a, in, a, in a blazer and a tie and try and look presentable. But I wear like the craziest colorful tie and this crazy blazer that is it's like flowers everywhere. And it's like gold thread. It's, it's, um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like what you would imagine the most cliche prom American prom night kind of uh, 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 clothing that, you know, somebody flamboyant would wear. And I found a place that sold these and I was like, I have to wear this. So it was a talking point. So whenever anybody walked in, they're like, whoa, that is the loudest jacket I have ever seen. And right there, <laughs> uh, you know, that broke the ice. That was my initial foray uh, into into talking with people. Um, and, you know, it, it, we'd break into stories or we would... Um, You know, I had a, a, the same assistants and we, we would always banter uh, with who we were photographing. You just have to find uh, a way to talk to them, a certain commonality. Uh, I think uh, Joe Biden was great, uh, President Biden. A after I photographed him, he's like, you, you photographers, you're like, you're like the most powerful people in the world. You're telling like world leaders and presidents and congressmen and senators to like, look this way and look this way and do this and do that. And, you know, stop, smile. And he's like, you're, you're so powerful. It's like, I'm only powerful for five minutes and I can't launch the nuclear weapons. So, it, you know, we would just have this funny banter back and forth with, uh, whoever I, I think, um, you know, One of the, I'm not going to say who it was, but told me that like he still doesn't really know how to make a tie very well. And he had someone else make his tie for him and slips it over his head. You know, little funny <laughs> things. Or uh, I, I, Andrew Yang, um, who had also run for and lost uh, the New York City mayor uh, uh, last month. Uh, you know, I asked him what music he wanted to listen to. And he said Depeche Mode, which is straight up late 80s early 90s music which is a little bit a place in my heart but um or even bill de blasio who is the mayor of new york now who for a hot second thought he was going to run for president he was like if i become president what do you want and i was like release the aliens from a area 51 he's like done uh you know just simple <laughs> off the cuff remarks always always worked with uh you know you know finding finding something to talk about with with people At the end of the day, they're just people. So Benjamin Lowy, having a very special and different outfits um, can be very great to catch their attention. And also, as you mentioned, using small talk. Oh, uh, 100%. Um, you know, I, 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 as a photojournalist, when you're walking in a war zone, you always, we, a lot of times there's this uniform that people wear, an unspoken uniform uh, with a type of camera strap or the type of camera bag or everyone wears a scarf 
don't know why that is because it's really hot. But there's, there's, you know, you don't wear flamboyant, outrageous clothes. And I think as I got older, um, I just sort of embraced being more flamboyant. I have more Hawaiian shirts and outrageous colors and like my pink shirt with this teddy bear I'm wearing right now. I, I just have embraced this idea of like, I'm like, whatever. I actually want to stand out now. Uh, I, I'll put it more this way. When I started as a photographer, I wanted the biggest camera with the longest lens and, a, you know, the lens hood. And I wanted everyone to know that I was a photojournalist and you, you know, don't smile. I'm taking your picture. You're not supposed to smile. I'm not a tourist. I wear the camera only on my shoulder. And I think as I got older, I realized how silly that is and how much of that is, is baked into the, 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 the community of, of what you're supposed to be as this like rugged photojournalist. And now I like, I actually want to look like a touristy dad and, you know, I'll wear socks with my sandals. I have my Hawaiian shirt. I'll have my camera around my neck and people won't give me a second thought. And that's what I want. Cause that's when I'm able to make the best types of images. You are definitely standing up and embracing the future. So what are the upcoming projects of Benjamin Louis? Uh, you know, I, right now it's surviving COVID and, um, and doing it safely. I think now that I'm, I'm living in on this border area, my wife and I are going to work on more, uh, you know, border, uh, stories. Um, I, Still, I'm working uh, with doing more underwater stuff uh, with our kids. Um, so one of the last projects we did with both my kids narrated a piece for National Geographic Shark Fest where, you know, they're very young and they went in the water uh, with great white sharks and then they interviewed um, a marine biologist. Uh, and I think we're looking for what that next story for them is going to be. Um, and, and, you know, as travel opens up kind of exploring and, and having them go out into the world, I, I think it's very important, uh, from my perspective as an American, where we have certain issues that are, um, prolific in our, in our culture and societies that my kids are interracial. Not only are they interracial, they're interreligious. I'm I'm a white Jewish guy. My wife is a Filipino, a dark-skinned Filipino, um, you know, Methodist, and you know, we've, we're raising our kids to be everything. And I think that there needs to be a voice where they can go out and kind of talk to people about saying, "Hey, we're not from this one place. We're from every place," and kind of experience. Um, this country in that way. And I, and I think that's an important voice in the mix, especially these days when we're uh, trying, I, I think as a community to be more um, open to understanding that um, there are many different experiences um, for many different types of people. Uh, and the only way to bridge some of these differences is, is through commonality. And, and um, that's a lot of what I, you know, I want to give them and, uh, and my wife want to give them. So that's something that we're working on. Um, You know, I take a lot of uh, solace in doing underwater work as well, just for myself and diving and actually not having to talk to anyone and just being alone in a completely alien world where, you know, fish and sharks and sea lions and sea turtles and uh, they do not care about our politics, about what camera we're using. 
8K, 4K, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they're, they're, like, they're, and uh, there's something relaxing and therapeutic about being in that world as well. Uh, and, and that's um, that's important to me too. One thing that I know for sure is that you will always be in Mission because this is a name of a city in the Hidalgo County next to yep. Macallan. Yeah, it's 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 right around the corner. <laughs> it's right around the corner. So uh, interestingly enough, it's where one of the first missions was established along the border in this in, in this area, um, and. I guess the name stuck. So it's, a, it's the mission itself that was established by the church uh, <laughs> here. Th that's where the city gets its name from. And that mission is still here. I mean, it must it must be really... I actually have to look it up in Wikipedia. It's still there. Um, and there's still uh, someone who, who, who operates uh, the mission. But that's where the name of the city comes from. It's from the original first mission that was established down here. Thank you so much, Benjamin Lowy. No, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it.